0: This episode of The New Way We Work is brought to you by Verizon, the network America relies on. This is The New Way We Work from Fast Company Magazine, where we take listeners on a journey through the changing landscape of our work lives and explain what we need to build the future we want. I'm Fast Company Deputy Editor, Kate Davis. So I've been thinking about this season of the show as a primer for building a more equitable workplace. We've spent some time talking about race, gender, and most recently, disability at work, and of course, how they all intersect. But really, we've just scratched the surface of these issues. The next few episodes, we're going to be talking about sexual orientation and gender identity at work. And similarly, it's such a wide-ranging topic that there's no way to be exhaustive about it in such a short amount of time. Just as there is no single Black experience, there is no single experience of being LGBTQ plus at work. There have, of course, been LGBTQ plus people doing all kinds of work for as long as people have been doing work, but the levels and types of discrimination that they have faced have changed over time, often depending on what industry they're in or what state they happen to live in. The concept of being out at work was basically non-existent before Title VII of the 1964 Civil Rights Act. But Title VII didn't actually make a huge difference in the lives of LGBTQ plus people at work because it bars discrimination on, quote, race, color, religion, sex, or national origin. It doesn't explicitly include sexual orientation and gender identity. The Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, the EEOC, began to interpret Title VII wording of sex discrimination to encompass gender identity and sexual orientation only in the last several years meaning that for decades, it was perfectly legal to fire someone for being LGBTQ plus at work. Over the years, some states enacted their own laws that offer different levels of protection, some banning discrimination for sexual orientation, some for gender identity, and some for both. But without an explicit national law, it was a patchwork system that left employees in many states with no protections at all. In 1994, the Employment Non-Discrimination Act was introduced. It would have amended Title VII so that it specifically banned workplace discrimination based on sexual orientation and gender identity. The act was introduced nearly every session of Congress from 1994 to 2010, but it never passed. The 90s also saw another major setback to queer workplace rights with the enactment of Don't Ask, Don't Tell, the military policy instituted by President Bill Clinton in 1993 that barred LGBTQ people from serving openly. President Obama didn't end that policy until 2011. The passage of marriage equality in 2015 allowed for some more legal protections for married people, including the inclusion of same-sex spouses on employee-sponsored health insurance. But things got worse for LGBTQ employees under the Trump administration. The Trump Justice Department said that previous more inclusive rulings by the EEOC were legally meritless, meaning that discrimination against queer employees was still perfectly legal in many states. Trump's time in office was particularly awful for LGBTQ people in the military as well with his ban against transgender people in service. It wasn't until 2019 that the U.S. House of Representatives passed the Equality Act, which would expand broad civil rights protections for LGBTQ people, including in the workplace. But the bill didn't make it past the Republican-controlled Senate. The bill was reintroduced in February of this year and has passed the House again. President Joe Biden has said that he would sign it if it reaches him. Meanwhile, there was a big victory for LGBTQ employees in the summer of 2020 when the Supreme Court finally ruled that the meaning of Title VII does bar employment discrimination based on sexual orientation. But despite this ruling by the Supreme Court, the Equality Act is still important as Title VII doesn't protect against other forms of discrimination in areas like housing and medical access. And despite having a new president with more inclusive ideas about LGBTQ plus people, 2021 has been a record-breaking year for anti-trans legislation. 33 states have introduced more than 100 bills that aim to curb the rights of transgender people across the country in a host of areas from school sports to medical access. And all of that is just the letter of the law or the interpretation of the law. It doesn't show what the lived experience of being queer at work is like and the daily calculations around identity, fear, and authenticity. So joining me to discuss what it's like to be LGBTQ at work right now is LaFawn Davis. LaFon is the Group Vice President for Environmental, Social and Governance at Indeed. LaFon, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me, Kate. So the LGBTQ plus experience at work can look so different depending on so many factors, right from your industry to your identity. Can you talk through a little bit like how different the experience can be? Oh my goodness. Uh, so
1: I think the experience is, is different based on your intersectionality as, mm-hmm. as well, right? So we're none of us are a binary identity, um, not even within the LGBTQ plus community. Um, I'm a part of that community. I am black, I am queer, I am a woman, I am uh a mother, I am of a, <clears throat> a mature age. <laughs> and <laughs> And and I'm fabulous. And all of those layers make me experience the workplace, home life, society differently um, than anybody else in the LGBTQ plus community as well. So there, I think there are specific um, needs for uh, people within the community. It's not a monolith. Right? People say the community with all of the letters, um, but that doesn't mean that all of the needs are the same. And so as I think about my uh, my trans siblings, I think there are specific needs, especially within an organization that they have. Um, things like benefits coverage, um, you know, name changes, uh, making sure that the organization understands the importance of pronouns. You know, my pronouns are she, her, queen. I'm fine with being addressed as any of those, but that's really to bring light to the conversation. Um, it is not to make fun of pronouns. It is to say that, like, this is if this starts a conversation with someone who isn't used to using pronouns, it helps to normalize it within the organization. I think that's really important for trans employees. It really is kind of tr- like unraveling those biases around intersectionality when it comes to the community. Um, that I think helps us thrive differently than we have been able to before.
0: Yeah, and you've, you know, you so you've just touched on like, four of the different questions that I wanted to get into. And and I do want to mention about um, trans employees and, and the idea of trans- transitioning at work. We're going to actually dedicate a whole episode to that um, coming up soon. So we're not going to dig too deep into that on this, but that's fantastic that you mentioned it. I, w- I want to get a little bit more into pronouns with mm-hmm. you because that's like such a battleground. Yeah. Um. But the 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 intersection of bias is really interesting and really important. I think when you think about, you know, this, it's not a monolith. It's not like this is the LGBTQ experience at work because there's so many different ways that your identity. And I think too, also your industry, you know, you think, you know, being in the military, being in investment banking, maybe being a teacher being, you know, we, we did a package uh, several years ago um, where we're, called out at work where we talked to 3000 different queer people about their experiences of being either out or not at work. And it was very dependent on industry and, and, you know, for teachers, it's such a battleground. What do the parents, you know, are the parents going to have an issue or the the kid's going to act a certain way mm-hmm. in the military? Like, can you lose your job if you're out? That's a whole nother layer. Um, but I, I think, you know, there's, and in talking about this, unlike other forms of identity, like race, Sexual orientation and gender identity is sometimes something that is not immediately apparent mm-hmm. and and you know you can you can hide, you can try to pass mm-hmm. is you know can you talk about what what some of those calculations are for LGBTq people and coming out at work and and yeah. you know having to come out at work or how to come out at work or if or you know all of those kind of calculations?
1: Yeah, so that is um I think a sensitive topic for anyone within the LGbtq plus community and it really depends on your environment. It's I want everyone to be able to be out and proud, but it's not always safe to do so. And I'm always thinking about the safety of people, um, not just their physical safety, but also their emotional, mental well being, as well. And oftentimes, you know, people within the community code switch. So much energy, so much emotional strength to do that. Imagine just not being able to be your authentic self. Um, I've been in tech for a long time and I don't believe in bring your whole self to work. I think that's a lie. <laughs> Nobody wants to see all of this. Um, but I want to be able to bring my authentic self. I want to be able to be who I am, um, and who I choose to bring to the office. And so when you code switch, when you have to be someone else or present as someone else, it really does impact your mental health. And now we're in a space where it's not just like walking into an office and do I come out or do I not come out, We're a lot of us are working from home. And that presents a different, uh, a different issue because you could be out at work and not out at home. Uh, there are folks who have moved back in with their parents or with their family uh, during this time, during the pandemic.
0: So it presents a different issue. Um, where can one be safe? I think that, you know, that's a, I'm so glad you brought that up. That's another layer that I think we don't think about when we think about code switching. I think a lot of people think about code switching, um, as it pertains to race. And we did, we Mm -hmm. did an episode about code switching and race and the, the mental toll it takes, but you think of, of adding the layer of, hiding, you know, because it's not only your like cultural identity, it's, it's also your life and potentially your, your partner. And I, I remember a coworker of mine who is a gay man who he said, oh, yeah, it's very easy for me to pass as a straight man. Mm-hmm. And, but he's like, but I just think about when I mention my boyfriend and not, and the words I use. And if I say partner, or if I just don't mention him and they, you know, they've been living together for years and it's like the a mental gymnastics you need to do with every word that comes out of your mouth yeah. and like, and the, the exhaust, you know, and, and, and how, what a toll that takes on your productivity too, your effectiveness at work to like, you're, you're spending all of this energy trying to like hide who you are yeah. in order to, you know? Yeah, absolutely.
1: And think about it, you know, bring it back to intersectionality, Kate, right? So if I'm black and queer, and so what if at work I have to code switch because I'm black, And at home, Mm -hmm. I have to code switch because I'm queer, right? You just don't have a place to be you. You don't have a safe (laughs) place. Um, And so it's those things that as we think about code switching, it definitely just doesn't pertain to race. Mm -hmm. But think about all the ways that you may have to code switch based on who you are and the toll that that might take. And I actually think it's a company's job. It is their responsibility to create a space of inclusion, to create an environment where people feel like they can belong so that they're not expending that energy on fitting in or on um, hiding who they are, because that's that much time that they don't have to be productive.
0: Exactly. Yeah. So so how does a company go about doing that i mean i feel like a lot of companies are doing the lip service part of it right they're saying (laughs) we we welcome everybody we're an equal opportunity employer they put that little line on it and they say you know we had we had a diversity training where we like said the the letters lgbtq in it maybe and (laughs) you know and then maybe we've gone one step further and like have an employee resource group that like Mm -hmm. you can join like here's the pride group at such and such company and then we change our logo to a rainbow flag in in june and like look at how inclusive we are like that's (laughs) that's a i feel like where a lot of companies are where they're like we're making an effort yes but but that i mean everybody should know that does not equal and inclusive environment. It does not. Uh, it's toxic. So yeah. Yes, yeah. So how so <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So so how how do you do more than just the, the the window dressing and actually make an a environment where people don't have to do those calculations of like okay, mm-hmm. well, I'm a black woman and so they're going to feel like I am too angry if I say if my voice is this, but then I can't show that I'm queer. If my, if I mentioned my wife and I got, you know, like wh- yeah. how, how yeah. can you make an environment where maybe you're not bringing your whole self to work, as you said, because, but like yeah. where you can just be you. Yeah. You know? So one,
1: just, I just got exhausted from that example.
0: right, <laughs> um, right? yeah
1: <laughs> So I think, I think you're right. We call that being performative when it's just like, Oh, let's put out a statement and, you know, change our, our our logo to rainbow, um, that's great. That's you know showing outwardly as maybe part of your brand that you um, support the, the community, but that's what that is. It's all it is, is a statement. Um, it's not necessarily action and those actions your employees and your consumers will feel because it is far beyond just the logo change during the, the month of June. So there's certain things that I think a company can do internally um to make to really make it an inclusive place and again this is putting on still the intersectionality hat because when you don't think about it that way then you you create solutions that don't work for everyone right so um one of the first things a company can do is make sure benefits are really actually inclusive so things like um parental leave as opposed to gendered maternal or paternal leave um having adoption and non-traditional family planning support. So you have adoptions, you could have IVF, you could have surrogates. There's lots of different things that I think should go into um, that type of support, supporting kind of family leave. Um, Having extensive coverage for gender affirmation procedures. And this is something that, you know, some companies might tip into a little bit, but they tend to do the bare minimum and not everything is covered. And then then it's on the employee to pay ridiculous amounts of money to be who they are. Um, so you wanna make sure you're supportive of that. Mental health support. Um, most companies have things like EAP, employee assistance programs. Um, we have, Indeed has waived co-pays for things like teletherapy, especially since we are, for Indeed we're all working uh, from home or working at home during a global pandemic, depending on how you want to look at that. When it's around creating a true culture of inclusion and belonging, uh, it's really looking at your data. So most companies also do an engagement survey. How do our employees feel? Um, Are we creating a place that is inclusive and where people feel like they belong? Are we creating a place um, that is psychologically safe? Um, And in that process of looking at the data with the engagement survey, normally what companies do traditionally is like, okay, men feel this way. Women feel this way. Great. <laughs> right. We're, and we're done. They're pretty similar. So everybody feels great, but really you have to, you have to start to carve up that data and look at the insights that come from it. So an experience from, um, assist at white man which may be the majority of your company, is going to be different than that of people of color, than that of the LGBTQ plus community, than that of veterans, than that, right? So if you don't take a look at your demographics and the way that they present themselves, then you're missing an opportunity to really understand, uh, you know, what is happening with all employees, not just those that are uh, represented or overrepresented at your company. Um, when you look at data, is that inclusive of, sexual orientation and gender identity? Are you asking those kinds of questions so that people can identify how they how they choose? Can they select more than one option? You know, that that's already a, a big conversation with race. Um, there's not a lot of think, folks that are just a binary race or ethnicity, maybe a race, but not, not an ethnicity. And so, you know, coming out of a space where can we start to look at people the way they choose to identify as opposed to making them select one option Um, I think, um, having safe spaces is really important. So we have, and indeed we have what's called, um, brave spaces, which is really around, um, storytelling, because I believe that that's a powerful agent for change. I mean, we're doing it right now on this podcast. Um, but I think that's how you understand other people's lived experiences And then we have um, safe spaces to have um, really in-depth conversation. And normally that is also led by um, licensed psychologists, licensed psychiatrists, because you can really start to talk about the trauma that these these, uh, communities uh, endure. And then we have healing spaces. So that's really diving into the trauma. That's with a trauma expert. Um, and that's taking the the issues, the current issues that are happening within communities to make sure that we are providing a space where 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 employees can heal. I think that's really important. I think highlighting representation. I, I say my layers of intersectionality all the time because I want other queer, black <laughs> women who are of a mature age, who, right, like all of the things I want them to see me because I truly believe that you cannot aspire to be what you can't see. Um, so it's really important that as we have more queer um, leadership roles that we, we highlight those as, as they're comfortable so that uh, people can see that representation. It is about the policies, policies and guidelines that we kind of touched upon a little bit um, earlier. And uh, lastly, I'll just say, you know, we talked about being performative and what most companies do, but this is a way that you can walk the talk. So do the stuff, right? Because your consumers and your employees need to know that you do support the community, but also take action. Otherwise it stays at that performative level.
0: So much of these issues are treated for, from a like, okay, well, who can, we, you know, What? how can we get our numbers? And we have like, we have a couple of LGBTQ employees. So, you know, look how diverse we are, but it's <laughs> really from the top, you know, like yeah. as you say, hearing somebody like you leading a company saying, you know, who you are and and leaning into your identity and not hiding your identity can do wonders for the people in the in the company that are like, well, if she can say it, then I can say it maybe then maybe it actually is a welcoming place. And hopefully that makes people feel like they don't have to do the mental gymnastics of like, say, partner, not. Boyfriend, you know that that sort yeah, of thing.
1: absolutely. And it feels different, even if you don't identify as part of the LGBTQ plus community, mm-hmm. it still feels like okay. Like if yeah, they're, they're good with with this. This is great. Like that. That means that this is an environment where I can thrive, no
0: matter. It, you know, and I think you know to get back to something that we talked to earlier. It's another like small thing. It's been such a battleground, though, pronoun usage. And you mentioned Mm -hmm. it before. And it's such a battleground, I think, for for misunderstanding. And I've heard a lot of cisgender straight people say, like, kind of question why or if they should put their pronouns in things like email signatures or their Zoom box. They say, you know, Uh like, oh, well, it doesn't, you know, obviously it doesn't pertain to me. It's for other people sort of thing. Can you break down once and for all why including pronouns, even if you're cisgendered, even yeah. if you're straight, even if, you know, all of that, why it's still important?
1: Absolutely, Kate. This is a I think those are the, the, the right conversations that you pointed out. That is what happens. I think what a company has to do is encourage everyone to use pronouns wherever they feel comfortable. Right. You also don't want to force people to do things because you're going to have the opposite effect. But um, even though I'm not trans, I share my pronouns all the time to even create the conversation because there are um, people who are like, "Well, why would I do that? Obviously, I'm this. No, it's not obvious to me. And out of respect for you, I would like to know how you identify and how you would like to be addressed. Right. And so it changes the conversation from, oh, I can't have pronouns because that's just for the trans community. No, everyone using pronouns out of respect actually helps the trans community and everyone else. Right. I, I get misgendered on my name. Like Lafon, people don't know if that is a male or a female. I've been called sir and everything else. <laughs> so it, 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 having conversations like that takes it away from just like, oh, that's for trans people but it does make it better for them to be able to be addressed and identify however they choose. And you start to get into the other layers. Well, it's either to she or he, not true, right? There are other pronouns that people um, choose to identify by and that needs to be respected as well. And you start to have those conversations like, what if I called you something else? What if you're a she and I called you a he? And I just kept doing it because that's what I'm comfortable with right? Most people don't understand that pronouns are not really just about you. They are about, again, understanding someone else's point of view. It is trying to put yourselves in their shoes and it's about basic dignity and respect.
0: This episode of The New Way We Work is brought to you by Verizon, the network you can rely on for your phone and for your home internet. Find the plan that's right for you at verizon.com. So, I want to I want to now ask a, a question that's kind of like the, the, the bigger, you know, societal legal sort of where we are in America mm. question, because mm-hmm. um, I've, I've talked earlier on this this episode before our interview about the kind of the, the history of legal protections and discrimination against uh, LGBTQ plus people at work. And it's yeah. I, as I don't need to tell you, it's horrible um you know so so last mm-hmm. summer though the supreme court did the the ruling that finally you know interpreted uh, title seven to include sexual orientation and yes. barred workplace discrimination yes. are there still legal restrictions for lgbtq people at work and what is you know should people you know are people hearing that and thinking like okay well now everything's equal like what
1: what yeah. is it like?
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> so so I, I'm I'm glad you asked that question, and I I am steeped in it not only from my work, but my wife is chief communications officer at Lambda Legal, and they do this is the work they do uh, for the LGBTQ plus community and those living with HIV and AIDS. And you know, although the it, that passed in the Supreme Court and it, it was a celebration, you you still have to celebrate victories, right? There are still uh, 20 two states that, um, don't have employment protection for, for the community in the United States. There are still just abhorrent trans laws that are, are up, um, to be passed in other states. And I mean, just ridiculous laws, laws against children, laws against Mm -hmm. their parents. Um, and it's, it sickens me. It really does because you have people trying to control other people's lives. And I'm not quite sure why, right? I, I still don't know besides just general discrimination and hate. I don't know why you would then come after kids or want to take someone's job away because of who they are as far as workplace protections. So though we had that victory and we have to celebrate those two, there's still such a long way to come. It it, it does feel like it is better than it used to be, but that's not for everyone. Um, There was definitely a time where I didn't feel safe coming out um, at work with my friends, with my family, with anybody. Um, And that, of course, is is not the case now if I'm on this podcast saying I'm queer and I'm Black and all those things um, and my wife, right? (laughs) So clearly we're in a different space and I am out and proud everywhere I can be, but it's not that way for everyone. And there is still a fear. And understandably so, specifically in these 22 states where um, even though it passed, there is still discrimination that occurs and there's normalized discrimination that occurs. There's microaggressions that happen within companies for these employees. There um, is still a fear of losing one's job. And maybe they say it's something else, but I lost my job. Right. Mm -hmm. So. So it's it's this space of where like yes we've come a long way from you know decades past but we have such a long way to go um, that it's not fast enough it's not happening fast enough yeah I mean I I you know my wife and I will go places and we'll hear stories like oh yeah my grandmother you know we we went horseback riding in in wine country and the person's grandmother moved to a city in Colorado, like up in the mountains where there are about 150 lesbians who live there. And this was like back in the 40s and 50s, right? They had to hide. They had to mm-hmm. make their own community and that's where they felt safe. And it's those kinds of stories that come out where, where, that make you recognize, okay, we've come a long way. I don't have to live in a special community. I, I live in my neighborhood and I feel very safe. Um, I'll see pride flags around that my neighbors fly and they're not gay, um, or they're Mm -hmm. not queer. They're just doing it in support in the same way that, that households that aren't black will have black lives matters in their windows. Mm -hmm. So it's like, okay, no, but we, but we've come so far, right? We we're okay. But if we take our foot off the gas, I think we'll really see we're actually not that far. We're just farther Mm. than we have been in the past. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, I, I I feel that so much because you're exactly right. You know, I'll, I'll walk around my, um, you know, liberal Midwestern town and see so many, you know, rainbow flags, so many, you know, in this house, we believe signs and Black Lives yeah. Matter signs. And you can think it's easy to think to see that and think, oh, well, you know, we've made all of this progress. And of course, it's 2021. Like who is still has these, you know, backwards notions, but yeah, we've, we're, we're not there. It's not, we're not there. And I think a lot of people, you know, if it doesn't affect them personally, can easily think that we are there, you know, like, yes. oh, well, surely. And I think even the, you know, even the, the Supreme Court ruling probably came at the Supreme came to the surprise of a lot of people who probably thought, well, yeah, I'm sure that's already illegal. Like, of course. You know, of Of course course it is. Of course you can't be fired. And we used to do a map each year, like, here are all of the states where you can still be fired for being gay. Like, this is still, you know, to, like, remind people, like, by the way, this is still happening. Because it sounds like something from decades past. And it's really easy (laughs) to become, yeah, it's really easy to become complacent, especially when it doesn't affect you. And it's, you know, it's the same... It's the same as racism. It's the same as anything else. Like if if you're living in that, then you know how far we we still have to go. Well, there's also
1: exhaustion. Kate, like (laughs) people are like, okay, wait, are we racist? No.
0: Yeah. Like we're still talking about this. Didn't we solve this already? Didn't civil (laughs) rights movement solve racism? Why are we still talking about it? It's
1: like with when Obama's in office, we're in a post-racial society. No, we are not. Right.
0: And it's like, no, no,
1: no. There's gay people now. There's gay people in the Senate and House and right. Like there's trans folks now. Um, So we're good. We're okay. We don't need to talk about this anymore. People get fatigued because Mm -hmm. to your point, you're not living in it. Right, so any progress that you see is like, okay, we're done now. We've we, we've gotten there, but we didn't get here overnight, right? We didn't get here yeah. overnight. This country was founded on some very unique, very uh, core principles of horribleness
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> that mm-hmm. are not
1: right. It's not Ugh, gonna every t- Every time,
0: yeah. Every time. There's a conversation like, that's not what the founders intended. I'm always like, you know what the founders intended? Right. <laughs> the founders did not intend for me to vote. They did not intend for you to vote. Like the, right. the founders did not have the best intentions in, did in many and circumstances. If you, yeah.
1: it, if you look at what was written and how the country was created, no, it's horrible. Um, <laughs> and And we have the ability to change that. And I feel like generation after generation fights a different fight right? It's a different fight. I I, am, I respect my elders, my ancestors, they fought how they needed to fight. We're now in a different space, not a hugely better space, but a different space where we can fight differently.
0: Mm -hmm. I think
1: a lot of us are still in fear and rightfully so. And some of us feel a little bit more empowered and others feel like they can just do whatever they need to do. And so it's this space where you're almost trying to convince people who are fatigued from all of the fighting of everything and, you know, convincing them that there's still more fight to do. You know, people will be like, I'm exhausted. Like, I, (laughs) I don't want to hear about the racism or the homophobia or transphobia anymore. I'm like, imagine what it's like to live through it. You don't have to live through it. All you have to do is try to dismantle the generational right? Trauma and generational isms and phobias. That's what the work that you have to do. And that's going to be exhausting work, but it's nowhere near living through. It.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or, you know, all you have to do too is is not make it worse, which I think, you know, that's, that's like the first step, right? There's so many, you know, as you said, there's all of these anti-trans bills out right now, trying to pull us further back, trying to make yes. things worse, you yes. know? So yeah. I, and I you question that- the
1: why, right? Like, it doesn't cost anything not to be hateful. Mm-hmm. It really doesn't, and our legislation, our our states, our state legislation, and the people that are running it feel like it is. And I, I really haven't heard a good answer to like how how does someone's existence,
0: how does that actually impact
1: you in a negative way?
0: Yeah. I, yeah. And I, th- I think that's the bottom line really in like, how does, you know, and, and we're, you know, we're talking, having all these conversations, you know, mostly as it pertains to the workplace, how does making a, a workplace that makes it so everybody is, you know, welcome and just can just do their work and, and not have to have, you know, as we've been talking about all of this mental burden and can, can just come to work and, 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 produce the best ideas and work, collaborate with each other and feel safe. How does that, how is that in any way, shape or form a a bad thing? harmful to you, right? How is that harmful? I haven't heard a good answer yet, quite honestly. Um,
1: (laughs) People hide behind all sorts of things. Um, But, but it's, it's that it's getting people to realize that if you just allow employees to be who they are, they will go hard for you, Kate. Okay? They will go hard for you. They will be loyal to your company. They will give you even more exponential effort. They perform better, right? And it's not. It's it's because you have now freed up space and capacity um, for them to focus on the work that they need to do as opposed to having to hide themselves or fight for themselves. They're employees who not just, it's not just about, um, oh, someone made a joke or someone misgendered someone else. They're literally fighting for their survival at work. There is absolutely no way that they can perform at the highest level. And that has downstream effects. Because as you're calibrating kind of across your teams and across your workforce, there are people that perform at different levels, right? And someone who has to fight for their life every day there's no way that they can perform at the highest level, which means that's affecting bonuses. It's, per, it's affecting opportunities that make it, um, being able to be promoted or just mobility around, right? It's It affects way more than just someone feeling comfortable. It, it could also affect their career trajectory and everything else. So it's really important that companies understand the role and the responsibility that they have to their employees all of them, no matter how they need to bring themselves in order for them to perform um, for a company, it hits your bottom line. And I don't know that there's a company that would say, oh no, we don't want to be the, we don't want to be any better than we are right now. We don't want to make any more money than we are right now. Just want to stay in the same place, right? Um, So it it comes down to that too. If, If you can't personally get behind someone just being themselves, loving who they love, Identifying how they want to identify, then at least get the fact that your company needs to continue to grow and be innovative to survive.
0: Yeah, and you know, and I'll, the only thing that I'll add to that, like planting the flag in the ground that you just did, is is that you know we cover so much, and you you know I don't need to tell you that that turnover is a huge cost to a business, right? And the the Absolutely. old adage, the old adage is you don't quit a. A job you quit a manager I would say You don't quit a job you quit A company culture Mm -hmm. and And you're going to lose Your best people and you're going to lose so much money In trying to find replacements And keep keeping having that turnover if you don't have a culture that Makes people want to stay and To your point if you have a culture that Makes people feel valued They will be so loyal Mm -hmm. Like people will you will stick with A job like the work itself Doesn't matter as much I think as the place that you work and the feeling that you get when you're there.
1: Yeah. It, it matters who you work with too, right? If you have supportive colleagues, if you have a supportive manager, our, our, your manager is supposed to be a carrier of your culture. So they can make or break your experience, right? But long-term, even if you have the greatest manager ever, if your culture is not aligned, then that is going to start to weigh you down. And again, your opportunities will be limited to just kind of that manager um, and their wonderfulness. So completely agree with you. I like, I want to throw down the gauntlet and I, <laughs> mm-hmm. like challenge all of these companies to seriously look within, right? Are like, are you making it more difficult for someone to just be? <laughs> Yeah, And and yeah. so then I kind of question your business ethics and I kind of want to see right? Your, your, right, your revenue plans and all of that, because they're so interconnected that any really good leader, regardless of their personal belief system, because again, I, I've been doing DEI work, DIMB work, all of the letters that go with diversity. I've been doing that work for over 15 years. My job is not to change someone's belief system. It could happen um, out of the course of this work, but that's not my job. I I should get paid significantly more if that's my job, but my job is for people to realize that there is a culture that has certain values and those values need to be expoused every day, regardless of what you believe. And I would imagine if I was at a company that didn't align with my personal values, that would be really hard for me. Right, so it is really important that a company does put a stake in the ground, that they do say this is a value that we have, not just like, oh, it's everybody's job and blah, 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 blah. That doesn't work, (laughs) it does not work. Not investing in this space, not investing in people to drive this type of culture forward, it does not work. There's no organic diversity and inclusion. There has to be intentional efforts that are made.
0: Well, I could not have said it better. I'm not going to not even going to try. LaFon Davis, Group Vice President of Environmental and Social Governance at Indeed. Thank you so much for being here.
1: Thank you for having me, Kate.
0: And that's all for this episode. If you're a new listener, be sure to subscribe to The New Way We Work wherever you listen. I also really encourage you to go back and listen to our past episodes so far this season. We've covered things like code switching, the pay gap, universal child care, neurodiversity, and more. And in our next episode, we'll be talking about transitioning at work. If you liked this episode, please leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. The New Way We Work is produced by Joshua Kirstensen.